Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 this morning. I hope you've enjoyed our Advent series thus far. I've really enjoyed getting to hear uh, from Pastor Ray and Pastor Jeff these last couple weeks. Um, it's been so amazing just to sit in these passages from Isaiah and enjoy these stories these weeks. But um, we do get to continue in the book of Isaiah this morning. But before we get too far into this, I want to preface all of this uh, by saying that this is probably one of the most challenging passages that I have ever preached from this morning. I'm not sure that I've ever preached from a passage that upon first glance is more like reading a foreign language than the one that we're going to read from this morning. And I don't mean the original Hebrew, okay? I mean like gibberish. This is where we're at. There's a ton of cultural and political context in the passage that we're going to read. So much hard that, so much so that it's kind of hard uh, to piece it all together in a way that doesn't sound like nonsense to our modern ears. And so uh, it is a complex passage for us this morning, but it's also a really rich and powerful passage. So I am excited to get into this this morning, but I don't want to rush into our reading today. Um, I'm afraid that if I just jump right into our passage and share that with you right out of the gate, um, that it'll sound a little bit like Charlie Brown's teacher up here, and all you'll hear is that wah, 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 wah for the first couple minutes here. So we're, we're not going to do that. Nobody wants that. I'm hoping that you will save your Sunday nap for this afternoon. Uh, that is my goal, if you know what I mean. Uh, so we're not going to rush into reading our passage this morning. We are going to go slow out of the gate, and some of what we're going to read this morning might be a little bit more familiar to us. Uh, We'll read the words, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When we hear those words, I think those words are familiar to us. Many of us immediately associate them with two biblical We think of Jesus, right? Jesus who is Emmanuel. We think of Mary, the virgin Mary. But these words were written some 700 years before Mary and Jesus lived. They were written at a different time and a different place and had meaning 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. So I don't want to worry you. We are going to get to uh, that passage. We're going to talk about how those are prophetic words this morning. But I don't want to rush past what this passage meant and what Isaiah's words meant when he originally spoke them. Because I want us to get the full flavor of this passage this morning. Because what we're going to read, it is a Christmas story. More accurately, it's an Advent story for us. It may not initially sound like one, much at all, uh, but it's really good news for all of us. It is an Advent story. So if you'll indulge me a little bit this morning, I really think we need to unpack Isaiah's word, world just a little bit before we jump into our passage. And so we get to do that by starting, by getting reacquainted with everyone's favorite Christmas character. You guys ready for this? Your favorite Christmas character 
is King Ahaz, right? Everybody loves King Ahaz, all right? Now, you're not going to find a lot of holiday cards with King Ahaz on them, okay? He's not your classic Christmas character, I understand that, uh, but he is one. He's just more in the category of Christmas characters with the Grinch and Ebenezer Scrooge and those types, okay? Um, Israel had a mixture of really good kings. They also had some really bad kings along the way. Um, we're told in the Bible that King Ahaz was kind of the rotten kind, okay? Um, he's kind of in this interesting situation in our passage. He finds himself in a bit of a political crisis. Let me explain this a little bit. Stick with me for just a second, and we'll get through some of the weeds here, okay? A few hundred years earlier, Israel split into two different kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, which retained the name of Israel, and there was a southern kingdom where Jerusalem was located, which was also which was known as Judah. And so Israel was split into these two kingdoms, and they functioned as these rival siblings who did not get along, at least in this season, right? And uh, King Ahaz was king of Judah, the southern kingdom. But in our passage that we're about to read, we're told that the northern kingdom of Israel has actually teamed up with Syria... And they're planning to attack King Ahaz and the southern kingdom of Judah. The north believed that if they could conquer the south, they could replace King Ahaz with a puppet king who would do what they wanted. Okay, So Ahaz, who's the rightful king of Judah, even though he may not be a good one, he's kind of got this crisis on his hands. He's got to figure out what to do with. So that's where we're at. The prophet Isaiah comes to this situation to help and to help Ahaz see that God will be with King Ahaz. He'll be with Judah as long as they keep their faith in him. And Isaiah actually says that the attack that they fear will actually not even happen. So if you're able, all that's all you're If you're able, I do want to invite you to finally stand with me as we read our story this morning. This is a difficult passage, so I've chosen to read it from the New Living Translation today. Uh, it might sound a little bit different than what you have in front of you if you have the NIV, but it will be on the screen for us this morning. This is Isaiah 7, starting in verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Syria and Pekah, of, son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shear Yeshub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds the water into the upper pool, near the road leading to the field where the cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't have to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabeel as Judah's king. That's your puppet king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. If you do not stand firm in your faith... You will not stand at all. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. 
But the king refused. He said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings who fear so much will both be deserted. This is the word of God for the people of God, and our response is always, thanks be to God. You may be seated. I need a drink after all those names. When Morgan and I lived in the St. Louis area, we actually lived um, on the Illinois side of the Mississippi River. So we were about 15 minutes uh, from downtown St. Louis. And we loved St. Louis. Living there was a lot of fun. It was a big enough city that there was a lot to do. Uh, but it was a small enough area that it was accessible. It was easy enough to get around. And St. Louis has a light rail subway system called the Metrolink. And uh, I don't know if you've ever ridden on one of these, but they're a lot of fun. The Metro also serviced the Illinois side of the Mississippi. So for $2, uh, we could jump on a Metro, and then you could ride it across to uh, the Arch or Bush Stadium or wherever it would be downtown St. Louis in about 20 minutes. So it was a pretty good deal. It was cheap, easy. You didn't have to worry about parking when you got downtown. So it was a pretty good deal. But we weren't the only people who enjoyed using the metro. And so that meant uh, that often there would be, it would be really busy. You'd have to kind of expect that there would be a lot of people on, on the train. And often you would have to stand up while you rode these trains, which is not a big deal. It was fine. But there's a correct way to stand on the metro, okay? As you can see in this picture, everyone is hanging onto a handrail or a pole. And that's really, really important when you ride the metro. Because when the tra- train takes off, if you're not hanging on to something, best case scenario is that you'll be thrown off balance and you'll be trying not to fall down and just be a little bit embarrassing, okay? Worst case scenario is if the train takes off fast enough, you are thrown to the back of the train and you're just hoping someone is gracious enough to like stick out an arm or like break your fall or keep you from going as far as you would, right? Um, so you can always tell when someone is a rookie metro rider because they'll get on the train and they've got their cup of coffee in one hand and they've got a bag in the other and the last thing on their mind is whether or not they should be looking for some place to hang on, right? And so it's always easy to predict how this is going to go. And so if you're a good person, you figure out a way to, like, not awkwardly be there to kind of, like, you know, have them run into you so they don't go flying. Or if you're not a good person, then you just kind of watch it play out and see what happens, right? (laughs) But the bottom line is if you're going to stand while you're riding on the metro, it's important that you held on. Because if you don't, there's a good chance that you won't be standing for long and you won't be standing at all. And Isaiah gives King Ahaz some similar counsel in our passage this morning. He's facing this political crisis. His world is collapsing around him. Our passage actually says that he's shaking with fear like trees in the wind. But Isaiah tells Ahaz, this invasion will never happen. It will never take place. But if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. 
If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, it's important that we recognize that these are not a threat to the king. They're, they're not a threat, but they're an invitation to have faith. In Hebrew, this word for faith is aman. Okay? Now, my Greek is much better than my Hebrew, so we're going to learn this together this morning, okay? But we're going to say aman on three. One, two, three, aman. One more time. One, two, three, aman. Sorry. For the Trinity, is that what we do? One, two, three, aman. Alright. So, this word aman can be translated as faith, but it can also be translated as believe, or trust, or rely on. Okay, you probably have faith if you're in the NIV, NLT, but it works for believe, trust, or rely on as well. And this word aman has actually made its way into our common everyday English vocabulary in a little bit of a different way. Uh, you might recognize it. What does aman sound a little bit like? Amen or amen, right? And now when we end our prayers with amen, it's not just a social cue that we're done praying. And it's now okay to open our eyes and dig into dinner, right? We use it like that sometimes. But actually, amen is, as the final word of prayer, is a declaration of trust. It's a way of saying that we're done talking now. We've said what we need to say. We've expressed our needs. And now we're leaving it in our Father's hands. We trust him with it. We're relying on him for the answers. And so this is what Ahaz is being invited to. Now that kind of faith is is simple in theory, right? It's simple as a concept. But if we're honest, I think we know that this aman, this kind of deep trust, is hard. And Ahaz has a hard time with it just like we do. And so this morning I want to look at what Ahaz does instead of leaning into this invitation to faith and to trust. Not because we want to rip on King Ahaz, but because what he does is so normal. It's so reasonable. It's so logical. It's, it's what we would do. It's what we all would do if we were facing the exact same situation as Ahaz. Because our natural response in the face of a crisis And the stress that comes along with that is to do exactly what Ahaz does in our story this morning. Ahaz insists on doing things on his own. He insists on doing things on his own. He essentially says, I got this. In verse 11, Isaiah says, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Your translation might say, deep as Sheol. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. So God knows that Ahaz is struggling with Ammon. He's struggling to trust. And so he offers to give him a sign of assurance. He says it can be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. Ask me whatever you want. Whatever you need to be able to trust that I'm going to be with you, say the word and you will have it. I'll give it to you. That's a pretty good offer, right? There's some times in my life that I wish that God had offered me that, right? I would have taken, I want to believe that I would have taken him up on that, right? But Ahaz says no. He says I'm good. And maybe Ahaz is just trying to keep the law that says do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6. But the spirit of the passage indicates that he's just not that interested in the sign that God wants to give him. He would rather do things on his own. 
In fact, he has a plan. Our passage tells us in verse 3 that Isaiah would find the king at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool. Okay. Now, I know no one is going home today blessed because we read about Ahaz hanging out by the city's water supply. Okay, It's not that exciting. But it is important because it was normal to build cities on a hill. It was strategic. It was good defensive positioning to do that. But this made getting water a little bit more difficult because you were further away from your water source. So an attacking army could simply just wait you out. They could wait, sit tight, and wait until your water had run out. So Ahaz is doing the practical thing here. He's out securing the city's water supply. Now, this might not have solved all of his problems, but he's staying busy, right? He's controlling what he can control. We're also told in other places in the Bible that King Ahaz is considering making deals with other neighboring countries, other nations, nations that they normally would have considered to be their enemies in order to receive military assistance from them. Probably not a good idea. Probably not a good idea to make deals with your enemies in moments of panic, right? So Ahaz has been invited to Amman to trust, to rely on his God who has always been faithful, who's always been there. But he's a frazzled mess. He would rather trust his own knowledge, his own plans, his own wisdom. He's too busy trying to find his own human solution to his problems. So it's easy to be critical of Ahaz, right? It's easy to say, what is he doing? But how often do we do the same thing, right? Instead of learning to lean into trust, when we face our own stressful situations, we try to stand on our own. It's just natural. We try to stand on our pride. We try to stand on our own competence, our own abilities to take care of things. And if we're honest, we might even prefer to handle things on our own because at least, at least then we feel a sense of control. It might be a false sense of control, but at least we feel that control. So unfortunately, I think we see a bit of ourselves in Ahaz here. So Ahaz insists on doing what we all tend to do, and he insists on doing things on his own. But what's amazing is that in spite of King Ahaz declining a sign from God, Isaiah rather says, tough luck. He says, you're getting a sign anyway. In verse 14, he's told, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of these two kings that you fear so much will both be deserted. So in spite of King Ahaz's lack of faith, God is faithful to Judah. And would you know, two years later, about the time a toddler would be eating yogurt and honey and learning right from wrong, the northern kingdom of Israel and their ally Syria were invaded by the superpower of Syria. And they were no longer a threat to the king and to Judah. God was with Judah. And so this Emmanuel prophecy seems like it's fulfilled, right? Or at least it would have seemed that way to Isaiah and to Ahaz. And we're not sure if Isaiah knew the full meaning of what he was writing at the time. But we know and we celebrate that seven centuries later, the love of God was fully revealed in a baby who was born to a virgin. 
and was called Emmanuel. Matthew tells it about, tells us about it in his gospel. And Marilyn read it for us this morning, but I just want us to read this again and absorb this this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the sign of Ahaz and the sign that he received was impressive enough. It was a great story of God's faithfulness in spite of human stubbornness. But the story wasn't complete. It seems that God had something else to say. He wanted to tell a greater story. A story that would be good news not just for Ahaz and Jerusalem and Judah, but good news for people of all times and all places. Because through Isaiah, God sent a sign of salvation to Ahaz. But in Jesus, once again, God sends a sign of salvation. But this time, the sign really was as high as heaven and as deep as the place of the dead. Because this time the love of God compelled him to send his son to the world. Who in his death descended into the place of the dead. And in his resurrection ascended to the highest heavens. I love the Brian Zahn quote that says, The good news of Jesus is that Emmanuel came from heaven and descended to hell. That he might heal humanity and span heaven and hell with the salvation of God. Some good news this morning. And I don't know how Christmassy this sermon has been for you this morning. Maybe Ahaz isn't your favorite Christmas, Christmas character. I get it. But this is a wonderful story of Advent because God was bound and determined to send Ahaz a sign that he could aman, that he could know that God was with him because he wanted him to know that he was with him in his crisis. And 700 years later, God was bound and determined to send a sign that all humanity could know and trust and rely on a God who was with them. And God has always been a God who invites us to trust him. The pages of scripture are full of this question, will you trust me? 2,000 years later, God is still inviting us to Amon. To trust him. To know that he is with us in the midst of our crisis moments. Now maybe crisis is too strong of a word for us this morning. But maybe it's not. Maybe what you've been going through is a crisis. Maybe you've been going through some really difficult seasons. Maybe crisis is an accurate way to describe what you're going through right now. Maybe you've been trying to do things on your own. You keep trying to keep control and control what you can control. And you've got a plan and you keep telling yourself that you've got this. But the good news is if we're tired, we're tired of taking control. If we're tired of doing things on our own, 
if we feel desperate, if we feel like we have nowhere else to turn, we have a God who is inviting us to trust that he is with us and whose love for us is as high as heaven and as deep as the place of the dead. And Christians, sometimes we make the mistake, intentionally or not, of thinking that our faith is about a list of things that we believe. We accidentally make faith about correct thinking or thinking correctly about God. As we read the Bible, we see that God's primary concern isn't getting people to believe all the right things. God's priority is not correct doctrine. God's not focused on changing people's minds. He's all about changing our hearts. Now, it's good to know what you believe, right? That's good. But the Christian journey is not about arriving at correct beliefs. It's about learning to live knowing that God is with us. It's about discovering that kind of deep trust in a God who loves you. This, this week, my son Owen came home from school uh, with a scrape on his side, or a cut, or you know, a little, little mark. And so, like all little boys, he's really excited to show this off, because you know, you've got to show off your battle scars. Um, he seemed a little bit extra concerned about this one, though. And so I said, buddy, how did you get hurt? And he couldn't remember exactly how or when it happened, but he was convinced that it was probably a scorpion bite. Okay? Now, a friend in his class told him that Michigan has a lot of giant scorpions. And to his friend, it looked just like a scorpion bite. Okay? We've had some conversations about the stories that this friend of his tells. Okay? But, of course, Owen believes him, and he's terrified that he's been bitten by this really dangerous Michigan scorpion. So, of course, I tell him, you know, we don't have scorpions in Michigan that I know of, and it's probably just a scrape or, you know, playing on the playground, things happen, whatever. But he says, but, Dad, Charlie told me that it's a scorpion bite. So I said, Owen, who do you trust? Charlie or Dad? Now, I took a risk there, right? Luckily, he did choose his dad, and I was able to convince him, you know, you don't have to worry about Michigan scorpions and all that, right? But I think that's the question for us. Who do we trust? Because our own human natural response is to do things on our own, to try to control what we can control. But my hope for us is that this very non-traditional Christmas story would remind us that we're people who've been invited to Amman. Isaiah says, stand firm in your Amman or you won't stand at all. It's not a threat. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to trust the God who shows up in our crisis moments. To get to trust and know a God who, in his love, sent his son as a child that he might heal all of humanity. And so this week, as we approach this super busy Christmas holiday with all the fun and all the chaos, all the busyness that comes with it, my hope is that we would just slow down just enough to remember and celebrate that we are invited to trust a God who is Emmanuel, our God who is always with us. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are 
our Emmanuel, that you're our God who is with us and that you've invited us to trust you even the most difficult things in life. That as you have promised, you will walk beside us, you'll be with us through it all. And I pray that as we journey through the rest of this Advent season and as we celebrate Christmas, we would remember that your love for us and your gift of salvation reaches as high as heaven and as deep as Sheol. And that there is nowhere that we can go that you are not with us. Help us to lean into your love, God. Help us to stand firm in our trust. God, we love you. It's in your name I pray. And because we do want to trust you, everyone said, Amen. Let me send you out with this super simple line from 1 John 4. May we know and rely on the love God has for us. Go in his peace, trust in his love. We hope you'll come back tonight at 6 p.m. and join us for Candlelight. Have a great day. We'll see you later. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.